Hello and welcome to the WooCast episode number 31 with Perry O'Hearn. My name is Mackie, and along with Juliet, we are here to explore all things weird and woo-woo. Today's episode is a really great one with Perry O'Hearn, who was one of our colleagues, so to speak, in the city of Philadelphia. We actually didn't know Perry all that well when we were all living in Philadelphia, and uh, I regret that now, getting to know him a little bit better after this conversation, and I wish we had had more opportunities to hang out when we all lived in the same city. Uh, This was one of our favorite awakening stories so far in the show. Perry went from being a full-time business owner to living the van life, traveling across the country, to then having a spiritual awakening. And he no longer owns the businesses that he was involved in in the city of Philadelphia. He's rerouted his purpose and passion to be in alignment with his highest self and what the world needs. Perry has been a personal trainer and health coach for over 12 years. He owned the largest private personal training studio in Philly, and after working with thousands of clients, he dedicated himself to specifically helping people lose 50 to 100 pounds in a year. Over the years, he's seen the fitness industry heading in the wrong direction as he sees it, as it pushes people towards fast and easy results more and more instead of these long-term and sustainable results. It's leaving people who have these longer weight loss journeys without the support they need. So this is why he created a holistic weight loss program in support of a community called the Way to Health Academy. In this episode, we talk about the burnout culture that's in this health and fitness world and our experience and how disingenuous it can be. More importantly, we let him graciously tell his story about how he lost it all to gain so much more. We were literally holding onto our seats with eagerness as he described his magical experience in the Peruvian jungle. This was a really epic story, so definitely stick around. The Peruvian jungle story happens towards the, the second half of the episode, so definitely stick around for that part. And without further ado, here's our conversation with Perry O'Hearn. I'm saying that. <laughs> Perry O'Hearn, welcome to the WooCast. Hey, what's up, guys? How's it going? Where do, where, do, where do we uh, where does this find you? Where are you at right now? Where does this usually... find you? That was such a weird way of asking that. Like, I, I don't know. I was like, is this spiritual? <laughs> yes, yes. In in many ways, emotional. Um. So I live. So I always start by saying, like, I just live in Massachusetts. And if then someone knows, like, most people just go, "Oh, you mean like near Boston?" I go, "Oh no, like the other side of the state near Amherst." And then if someone knows Amherst, then I tell them where I am, which is Belchertown, which is a super small, like little Hickville town. We have two stoplights, like eight banks and a subway. Like, Why that's, eight banks? I don't know. I don't get it. It, it was like that when I was a kid. There was, there was like two and then there was three. And I just moved back here and there's... They're, they're freaking everywhere. It's like Is there like, are there people city. like rolling in the dough that we don't know about there no, that need gotta, to like no. make accounts? You got to have options. Just, yeah, <laughs> I, I have I have no idea. Like legit, there's there there's more banks here than any like other thing. Wow. Like we again, we only have two stoplights. Like there's not much going on. We have two restaurants. Like, Do you have a Starbucks? <laughs> no, we have a Dunkin' Donuts. Nice. Oh yeah. Duncan. <laughs> reminds me of where I grew up, like in upstate New York, because we didn't we we had a Dunkin' Donuts. I remember when the Dunkin' Donuts came, it was like 
oh my god <laughs> you know yeah i i remember when we got stop and shop that was like a big deal oh yeah my it town like, got oh. that too back in the day i remember yeah. the stop and shop game <laughs> this is like upstate new york but um well that's awesome so you're living in nature yeah i mean it's nice so basically what happened was you know my wife and i were traveling in a van and van life before it was up- cool yeah. Ah, I think it was like in the, in the, the middle of the coolness, like we jumped yeah. on that bandwagon, but like we had just basically driven cross country. It was March. We were in San Diego, you know, celebrated a friend's 30th. And we're like, this is perfect. Like it's beautiful weather. We're going to go up the coast to Alaska. Like we are completely stoked. And then COVID. Right. And I remember when we were in San Diego was when like two cases hit. San Diego. And it was like, what is this thing? Like, this is kind of crazy. And then the lot, like there was words of lockdowns. So I had Philly fitness at that point. So we were like, we got to, we got to book it back across the country. And it was really crazy as we were going across, like you started to see the toilet paper shortage, the Lysol mm, shortage, yeah. like you were picking up on the, the, the vibe and of just like being like, country's anxiety and we didn't really know what was going on yeah nobody knew at that point yeah so you know we did the two-week lockdown but we didn't have a home i mean we sold everything we didn't have a house we didn't have i mean literally nothing in storage anywhere like we just had the van and you depend on like a lot of public services for that right either public bathrooms or campsites or shops so when all that stuff gets locked down you don't you can't really do anything unless you want to pissing a cup. <laughs> like, there's not much you can do. So my mom had just bought a new house, but hadn't sold the old house yet. So I was like, can we just squat there for two weeks? Like, then you can sell it. Like, it's not a big deal. Mm-hmm. And two weeks turned into two months and two months into six months. And she was kind of like, I got to get going with the sale. And we realized by then I had closed Philly Fitness permanently. And I was like, I have no reason to go back to Philly. I wanted to move out west, but with everything going on, it's just that's just too stressful. So we bought my childhood house. Oh, <laughs> so like, wow. you guys ended up buying it? Yeah, we bought wow. it from my mom. So I'm literally sitting in my old bedroom. Wow. This is like where I that's incredible. <laughs> so it comes come full, full, circle. full circle. Yeah. I, you know, and it's funny because when I grew up here, like my whole goal was to get away. Yeah. You know, there's not much in this town. I just, I just wanted to get away. And now that I'm here, I'm like, oh, I have a yard. I live yeah. by two lakes. It's quiet. Like, it's just, it's just peaceful. It's Those just are the like type of things, nice. though, that you can't appreciate as a kid or as a teenager because you want to be where the action is. You've got the energy. You've totally. got, you, you want to be, you know, moving upward in the world. And we were just talking on the last podcast we had with uh, uh, Juliet uh-huh. was, yeah. was mm-hmm. um, Juliet was saying, you know, the last place she ever thought she would end up would be back in upstate New York. And it's all, it keeps coming up as like something that we wouldn't mind, you know, down the future. Totally. I mean, especially like once you, I feel like once you pay your dues in a city, right. And it's like, it's either that's your life. Like you're like, let's go, let's hustle. Let's just grind and just be in that. Or you really realize like, it's just, I'm, it's cool. Like I did it, you know, I did it in my twenties. I want to go to bed by nine now. <laughs> like right. I'm not doing much. What's the point of being there? Like you've kind of discovered yourself and then you can just say, all I really need is my, you know, close friends, family, and just plug it in the middle of nature and just be cool with it. You know? Yeah. 
I know uh, you can relate to this just being in fitness for, I mean, when did you start? How long have you, were you in the fitness industry? So I started like 2009, late 2009, 2010. Okay. Yeah. That was like right around um, when I was just starting out too, that same time frame. And there's just such a level of hustle that accompanies being in the fitness industry regardless of if you're just doing personal training or if you're like doing the whole classes and going from studio to studio. And like I was doing it in New York city when I first started out. And like, you know, I think you and I can relate on this and we were talking about it a while ago about like this sort of, um, I don't want to be hot shit or like, there's just this, like there's a very egoic thing that happens in the, fitness industry almost similar to uh any entertainment industry someone trying to climb the ladder of being a an actor or something like that mm-hmm. you know um how, totally yeah how is that for you and now you're like i live in the country like you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah you know it i couldn't agree more like i think there's just there's just phases to it right like i think like when you're an infant in the fitness industry, like you, you're totally clueless. You try everything and you just think rules are everything. You, I got into so many arguments. If you don't squat with your feet at 12 o'clock, you're going to blow your knees. Like just idiotic stuff where you just, you know, you read a book or whatever, did a course and you think, well, this is the way it has to go. Everything's an excuse. Like, so you're just so rigid. And then I feel like as you learn a little bit, you start to like find your niche, but it's just like, you're the brand always. Yeah. Right. And so it's like, you have to, especially early on before you have testimonials, you're really selling yourself. And I think it's so toxic because while it's valuable, it also like puts this pressure that we aren't humans. Like we don't mess up. We don't have pressures or cravings or bad days, weeks, months, whatever. So I feel like it causes this, like the separation of like yourself and like the portrayal that you're trying to create because you want to help people and you, you're just like, I want to be strong for you. But this is what happened to me in Philly. Like I had a lot of acquaintances. A lot of people knew me in Philly. If I really needed help, like I don't, I could probably call like a couple people that I'd feel comfortable that would, I got stranded on my motorcycle once and no one came. Mm. I like, I hit up a bunch of people and I had to freaking like walk it back. Like it's just, and it's because you just, it's like almost by creation you do that, right? It's very, it can be a very transactional thing in, you know, in that I had, you know, had so much community around me and when, you know, with Unite and was experiencing you know, a hundred people plus a day in which I knew their names. I knew, you know, things about them and they knew things about me just from how I taught and like, you know, maybe my Instagram, but we don't really know each other. You know, we're not really, we're not close. We're not friends. And, uh, but it gives you this sense of like, I'm always around people and like, but it's not necessarily like creating the space in the heart that is filling that, that really, you know, that deeper connection with people. And speaking of the self and, you know, the identity, 
I, you know, I think I'm over the identity crisis part now because it's been, a, you know, a little while. I mean, how long has it been since December? January 1st, basically. So three months. <laughs> OK, well, maybe I'm still in it. I move fast. I'm like, I do everything to the nines. I'm pretty, pretty intense. I have to be told, like, all right, calm down. Like, you don't need to read like 50 million woo woo books at once. You know, I'm like, just give it all to me now. But yeah. um there is this crossover that happens with the lifestyle like you're talking about like you don't look at it as a job or career you look at it as like i this is a lifestyle choice this you know and that's bullshit i think it's bullshit yeah yeah i think what's hard too is like i, I don't think if people know like how emotionally taxing it is to care for other people's health essentially more than they do right and yeah i think it just comes off like oh we're just a trainer like hey come on man give me a deal you know like 50 bucks so you know a month just to get and it's like i'm not able to just like give someone something and not care like if they don't get results like it it'll ruin my night like it I, it hurts my heart I, like i'm super empathetic very like emotionally aware and sensitive to that stuff and it it affects me and they and it's just so hard to articulate that because again when trainers are like in the beginning phases they're not aware of that yet they might not be connecting yet so like they'll undercut everything so then that's the standard and it, it just it's so taxing like i just you know you go home you're exhausted it's difficult to have relationships at times and it's just yeah, I mean, that was like some of the biggest struggles for me. Like when I burnt out, it was just, yeah. I'm like, I got nothing left to give. Like I, I need someone to help me a little bit. Like I can't, I can't be on for you guys 10 hours a day. Like I, sometimes I'm just in a shitty mood. Like, was that the impetus for you to do the van life? Was there a moment where you were like, I'm, I need to disconnect? Yeah. You know, I think I burnt out probably like, I had my own identity crisis when I fired myself from training. You know, Philly Fitness grew to a point where I was the bottleneck, right? We, you know, if you remember, I don't know, had, did you did you guys ever come into the space? I think I, I went into that space once a long time ago. So it was basically three floors, two private rooms on each floor. So we could do six one-on-one -on -one sessions at a time. You know, that's all we did. But because of that, you know, you you needed the rooms to be full. Like you needed to go. So if I had five trainers and me, and I was only doing three sessions a day, that was a lot of wasted space, but I didn't, I also didn't want to bring someone on half. And then mm -hmm. I just felt unethical being the sales guy and then also taking some of the good ones or whatnot for me. So I fired myself and said, I'm just going to run the business. I won't train anyone. You guys do it. And it caused this really crazy, I don't know if you guys ever experienced this, but once I stepped out of being the trainer, even my relationships with the trainers and clients shifted. Like I became the boss to a lot of clients as opposed to the guy that's in here who happens to own a space. And it became a lot more combative if things did come up because I, I wasn't a normal face they were seeing. Yeah. And so... I just, I didn't know how to navigate it. Like I wasn't doing something, you know, it's, I'm not passionate about doing accounting and like managing Facebook ads. Like I got into this cause I love 
of transformations, but then I started to disconnect and it became really difficult. So I just, I kind of went around for like a year and a half with kind of no fulfillment. I had a super successful business. Financially, things were going well, but I was just kind of empty, you know, and I made a bunch of mistakes, both in relationships and personal life and money. And when I met, you know, my now wife and we were talking, I just tagged her on Instagram, kind of just being like, how great would this be? Like, just to get away. Look at this van. She's like, that's super cool. I'd do that. I was like, huh? You would? Like, I will. She said, what about the business? All right. I don't care. I'll figure something out. Like, let's, and so I just, my nature is to say, fuck it. Like, let's just do it. And so, yeah. And, and now I see that, like, I did van like for the wrong reasons. So that's part of why we, it just didn't necessarily work. You know, what do you mean by that it. for the wrong reasons? It was just, I was doing it thinking it would make me happy. Mm, like escaping. It was, it was an escape. Like it was going to be this new fulfilling thing and blah, 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 blah. And, you know, when you go into it like that, like van life's not all cupcakes and unicorns. Like yeah. you're pooping in the woods, like your dog will shit while you're driving all over the place. Like, you got to do work and like one, one plate is in the wrong spot and the van's a mess because you only have 14 square feet to live. Like it's tough. And especially with two dogs and your wife, like it's. God it's bless you. God bless you all. Because, yeah, you know, even you know, we, <laughs> we talked about like, do we rent like a small RV to like go to Colorado and do this move? And even that I was like, no, I think we'll just stay in hotels. Like, I don't really, I don't really want to do like sleep. I was like looking at the pictures of the bed that is in the thing. And I'm like, no, mm -hmm. I'm okay on that. <laughs> yeah. And so I think when you're anchored in something the wrong way, your focus shifts from being, um, you know, like, I can't even think of the word, like happy and enjoying the good stuff and grateful for the good things. And like really in the moment to, kind of only seeing yourself as like the victim of when the bad things happen, right? You're not, so every little thing that happened, it was like, fucking A, this, of course this happened. Of course we got a flat tire. Well, it's like, yeah, you're driving cross country four times. You're going to get, or you right. know, whatever things it was. And so, yeah, so we just got kind of so wrapped up in like, this needs to be perfect. So every little normalcy that happens that isn't perfect was caused a lot of stress. And so we had some great times and, but really it was an amazing learning experience to like, just, I mean, there's no more, no more simplification than selling everything, having a drawer for each of your belongings. And like, that's it. <laughs> like, you know, so. Yeah. What an adventure to learn about not only you in relationship with one another, but also just to learn about your individual needs and yourself and the mind and how the mind works when you don't have all of the material to distract mm -hmm. you. Yeah. You can't hide like, you know, and, and, and especially in a relationship, I mean, there's no space, you know, sometimes we'd be in a place and I would have a morning walk or I'd go out with the dogs or she would do yoga somewhere. But for the most part, I mean, if you're in a pissy mood, you, you're bumping into the person you're pissy at, or you're bumping into someone who's pissy, or just it. It's like a boot camp for your mind. I mean, it it forces you to face everything that you don't want to face because, like you said, you don't have a TV, 
Like you might not have cell service. You can't just like go to a restaurant. Like you don't know where you are. I mean, it just strips away all of that and just says, here you are. Enjoy yourself. See what happens. (laughs) And I only had a taste of that in a sense when we were in California right after I left the business and we went out there for just a couple of weeks and we were somewhere that was we were in a place that was pretty remote. Like there's no no cell service, no TV, you know, it was really just the two of us nature and bo- and books i brought and mm. there were some days where i felt like my mind was trying to like kill me like torture me like it was torture like and this monkey mind that was just like giving me all of these narratives and stories and you know and and the the feelings of overwhelm and frustration and the identity crisis like that was when it was like hitting me in that like what the fuck am i doing and all this and i remember you know telling mackie i think it's i think it's important you know to sometimes verbalize and to speak out what's happening in your mind it's really helpful to say it you know and i would say to him i'm feeling i'm tortured right now i can't explain to you what is happening but my mind is torturing me and what would end up happening is that this that it was just all of this repressed emotion and energy, which I can say was from the last decade of my life, climbing this ladder of success in fitness and business and taking an energy from energy and, you know, people's energy and managing employees like you did. And to, I don't have that anymore. And it was like a, a detox of all of this almost like garbage that was in my body. And there were times where I was screaming, right? Yeah. <laughs> Literally like in the woods, like ah, crying, yeah. but it was like necessary. Yeah. I feel, I feel like it's almost like going through withdrawals. Yeah. It's like, it's the, your body's so used to being amped up your nervous system on fire, like your brain going a hundred miles an hour. And then all of a sudden, you're in kind of like a vacuum of your own consciousness. And it's just like, what the, what do you, like, what do you mean? Just do nothing. Like, what is nothing? I can't like, show me how to do nothing. I'll, I'll do the most nothing out of anyone, you know, if you just <laughs> tell me how to do like, and you just go crazy. And the same thing happened to me. And I don't even know if you guys know. So I got into such a bad place while in the van and just like identity crisis, all these attempts at creating the perfect life and finding fulfillment in external sources just kept failing. So I ultimately, and this is a little bit of the same, but like, I just had to disconnect from everything. And I went to uh, Peru and I did ayahuasca. And like that experience was probably one of the most terrifying things I've ever done. Cause I've never done hallucinogenics or anything like that before. I used to have crazy night terrors as a kid and I still kind of do. So I'm always afraid of like my brain going to a place where I I can't control. I don't know what's happening and being that guy. And I went and I mean, it was crazy, but it was so helpful. And like, it just essentially brought me back to kind of reality of what really mattered. And it was me. It was my wife. Like it was my dogs and like, that's really it, you know? And obviously other people I still care for, but like the core is just, it's it. That's it's us. Like that's where the happiness will come from. And 
but whatever else we're dealing with, like, it doesn't really matter. It's just, just is what it is. It's just like the weather. It doesn't define me, right? but it took me to drink up some nasty shit <laughs> in order to have that, you know, realization. My first reaction when you said that was, I love that for you. I don't know why I wanted to say that, but I love that for you. And I, and you know, um, we don't really know each other that well. We really just know each other through the industry that we were both in and through the gram, you know, that, that place. Yeah. Which is crazy um, in itself. Yes. Yeah. Like we were, we were all like top, some of the top people in like a very small city in the fitness industry. And like, we never got dinner together. Right. You well, know, because like, in our, in in night, our industry, you know? though, there is a lot of this uh, unspoken, e- the ego, the unspoken, mm-hmm. like, you know, God forbid that we actually get together and talk shop and it doesn't become a like pissing contest. Right. Totally. And I'm like, I'm not there anymore. And it's like, I never want to go back to that feeling of like <laughs> feeling, you know, and now if I am triggered by things, it's a, it's a self thing. I have to look at myself and be like, what is it within this person that is triggering me where I feel lack? There's some lack within me. It's nothing to do with the person. You know, it's, there's enough room to go around. And I would say that, I would say that for years and years, but did I actually really feel it? And the answer is no, I never truly felt it. I still was like, always looking outward. What are they doing? What are they doing? You know, am I doing enough? You know, is the business doing well enough? Like looking to the outside to really like determine, you know, success. Um, I'll never forget the right before the pandemic in like February, 2020, we were, we were out getting drinks at this restaurant and it was like fitness night out. There was trainers from like four different gyms or maybe five different gyms but we were all in our own little cliques. Like we were hanging out with our mm-hmm. trainers. There was trainers <laughs> from that gym over there. We're looking at them across the bar. There's, it was like West side story, you know, yeah. and like, it was like, this was like peak ego fitness in Philadelphia mm-hmm. right before everything came crumbling down. You know, and I think, I feel like it stems. I don't, I don't know like how you guys got into the industry, but you know, my first, job was in like a tiny it was a fitness together so like a really small one-on-one personal training studio you're basically like a like a hair salon stylist like you just you have a room they just book the people in if you're available you work with them and that's it it's it's a much more transactional but when i came to philly you know i just got a job at psc and it's so hey good luck buddy go fend for yourself like go talk yeah. to people, go clean the floor, make minimum wage, hook someone into a four session deal. Like maybe we'll start giving you like, but it's so cutthroat, both with you and the other trainers with a lot of times with like you and management. Right. And so it just, I feel like it just breeds that sense of scarcity Yeah, where you're like, if he gets a session, that's, that's that could have been mine. Right, like I right. was talking to that dude the other day. I slapped his butt at the water fountain. Like he should be paying me, you know. Mm-hmm. Like, and, and you so see, then it just carries on. You see how easy it is to lose sight of like what you're really there to do, and that's to help people, you know, figure out what they need to do. Yeah, totally. And it's you're bringing back yeah, memories of me poaching people right now, <laughs> and, yeah. and just the thought of doing that right now is like in this stage of my life is literally like skin crawly to me like i remember just 
going up to people because, you know, in order to get off the floor, because I, I didn't want floor hours anymore, you had to have like a certain amount in your book. Yeah. And so I would yeah. just have to straight up like, hey, hey, man, uh, you know, that that tricep uh, pull down you're doing. <laughs> you, you're really, you know, let me show you how to do that better. You can, you know. One time I did that to Ryan Gosling. I'm not even kidding, guys. I actually did and did not know that I was doing this to Ryan Gosling and then realized Hilarious. that I never saw the notebook, but I realized, wait, this is somebody that, yeah, that's like my one moment of being like, oh, fuck my life right now. Like, did he sign up? <laughs> no, I walked away. I was like, I was like, all right, man, like have a good day. But just putting yourself out there like that. And in, in some aspects, it builds a lot of character, right? Because mm -hmm. you have to really show up and like, and, and, no matter how scared you are, your job is on the line in that way. So you, it, it does build this like a little a bit of this fierceness to to go out and and, and ask, right? Ask for the sale, yeah. even though I can, I you know, I wouldn't want to approach it that way now. But as mm -hmm. young, when we were young, I think that there was something to that that I can be like, okay, there was some qualities to that that are nice. You never actually had to do that. No, I was very lucky. You were so you had the cushy, <laughs> oh, man, the cushy life. No, you just got <laughs> clients handed to you here you go this is a good one for you i'm i mean you're you have to you're, be like the crack dealer in the corner it's like hey i got a good workout for you bro yeah all of yeah. that yeah when I, my first paying client well technically like my first client outside of a gym in philly um she lived uh, i don't remember the town what's the town like past maniunk like as you keep going out chestnut hill there's Rock East Falls, Girl. there's East Falls, Chestnut Hill, and uh, gosh, what's that other cutie, cute one? I know what you're talking about. But. I'll, I'll figure it out, but it was about, so I had to ride my bike an hour oh, to her house. I trained her for an hour, and then I'd ride an hour back, and I made $30. Yep. And it was like, I was stoked. Yeah. I was like, yeah. yes. And I, so I quit engineering to become a trainer and i made 30 plus an hour out of college so i was like i i just bike 25 miles or whatever it is to make 30 you got your bucks, workout right? in and i did it three times yeah <laughs> i know but it was like i had another person i trained five days a week and their family owned a grocery store so they let me take groceries like that's how i yeah. made ends meet in the beginning and it's it's good because you're right. It builds a ton of character and you just have to show up all the time. I think what happened to me is I started to believe that facade. Like I really thought that was me like this, the egotistical go getter. Yeah. Like I'm going to do like, my goal was to be the biggest personal trainer in Philly. I wanted everyone to know my name. I wanted the most sessions. I wanted to be every other gym combined. I wanted 10 locations. Like I wanted to own the fucking fitness industry. And then like, after coming kind of close with one-on-one, -on -one, I was like, this sucks. <laughs> like, I don't, I wish it was just like a tiny little studio with like me and two trainers. Like, well, I'm it, sure you've asked, you've asked yourself now, like, where did that, what I, the word I want to use is like overcorrection, overcompensation come from. And what I was going to bring up earlier when you were talking about ayahuasca is, I know we don't know each other that well, but I, I do know that you've been open about, you know, your childhood. And mm -hmm. some of the things, you know, that, you know, with your dad and I don't know how much you, you want to share with the listeners, but, you know, I can relate to that because I had a very traumatic childhood with parents who did not show up for me and weren't 
there were no boundaries. There were, there was no, uh, I see you, I hear you, I feel you. There was, you know, telling me I'm too much. I'm not enough. You know, it was mm-hmm. like just all of these mixed messages growing up. And for me, I was always trying to like overcorrect and make mm-hmm. my way. And my idea of success was like, I'm going to make something of myself and I'm going to be the same thing. Like I'm going to my first training job. I went in there, no certification, by the way, 17 years old. And I said to the guy, like, I'm going to make you more money as a trainer than anyone's ever made you. And he hired me. <laughs> I mean, that's what they want to hear the in a gym, right? At PSC. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Them, right. I literally said, I'll be the best thing you've ever hired. Yeah. And they were like, you're an idiot, but okay. Right? And that's, and I remember Billy, Billy was my manager and he was like that. He's like, uh, okay. Like he had that look of like, and he's like, but you know what? I'll take a chance on you, girl. You, you can, you can, I'll take a chance on you. And I did, I did do that. I did do what I said I was going to do. I did make them the most money of any trainer they'd ever seen. I'm sure, you know, after me, there were many, but like I created my mini, a mini legacy at that space for like a short period. Yeah. And I honestly did need a win. Like as a child that had so much horrible stuff happen to me, I needed a win. So I'm grateful to, ha- mm-hmm. to have been able to overcompensate, overcorrect in that time and like get that win. But as an adult, it's, yeah. it's like the pendulum. I always talk about it. It swings both directions, right? Mm-hmm. So it can sometimes mm-hmm. swing so far and it knocks you on your ass. <clears throat> yeah, I mean... You know, everything that happened to me, I mean, for the people that don't know, you know, my dad was an abusive alcoholic and ended up dying homeless. And for me, that has always been like, I know what it looks like to quit. Like, that's what I always go back to. And I'm just the kind of person like when my back does, I I almost have to be in that position to stay motivated. Like, I need to set myself up for failure. And then I say, well, I'm. I, I'm not going to quit. Like I'm, I'm, I will do this until it succeeds, whatever it is. Because I, I'm like, well, what do I, you know, I quit a high paying job at a college engineer. I got sent to Hawaii for work, full benefits to my first job paid me $9 a session. Like they were charging 88 and I made nine. Like that, I lost money every week just in gas. And then I came to Philly. I was supposed to go to med school. I decided to postpone. I started training. I made what, 850 working on the floor, like started side hustling and all that. And it, there was so many, I literally interviewed to be on a lobster ship in Alaska. Cause I was <laughs> like, I can't do this. Like I was living in 54th and locust and on a, a plastic mattress like with someone that didn't speak English, all my stuff was in a U-Haul because the first place I tried to move into wasn't good. Like it was a mess and I just wanted to quit. And I kind of always look back and just say like, my dad wasn't a good role model in the way of showing me how to do things, but he showed me how not to do it. And so for a long period of time, I used that as fuel to like try to make different decisions. And then eventually, I mean, it was probably a couple years into training when it really started clicking of saying, hey, like, I'm not him. I can't just keep running away from him. I have to, like, run towards myself and start to really evolve. But it's like you said, it's a really powerful thing to have those traumatic experiences because I know what it looks like to quit. Like, 
I have an addictive personality. I deal with depression and anxiety. I could totally be okay with just going homeless, abandoning everyone and drinking myself to death. Like I, that that's in my head and I have to fight it because I've seen it and I know the damage, like I feel the damage that it's done. So I'll never do that to anyone. But without that, if I grew up in kind of a, you know, easy life, I don't know who I would be. Right. I would, I mean, obviously I'd be a different person. So I'm super grateful for having shitty experiences. Cause I think it's, it's really helped. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we're not our story. At the end of the day, the story is the story and it has impacted us in the way that it has in terms of where we are now. And I'm the same way. I feel extremely grateful. I would not take anything back, you know, in terms of my experience and what happened. You know, I wouldn't have met my amazing husband, like, you know, all of the things that, you know, we have. And I've learned so much from those experiences. And, you know, I'm on this path now of, I'm always a student of life. I will continue to like have self-inquiry and learn about myself even more and more. And but to be able to help other people to even just us sharing this and you saying like when I first started, this is was my situation. I made no money. I slept on a mattress. I think that that's important for people to hear in any new venture they're going into. And, you know, especially if, you know, for young fitness professionals, I think it's a different it's different now because when we started, it wasn't as uh, large of an industry in terms of really high paying opportunities immediately, like with teaching classes, it was mm-hmm. much more about the one-on-one training if you wanted to make money, but that it's, it's important to hear these stories and they, they, uh, they help me even, you know, just to just hear other people's journey. And so I'm curious with that, with you, never necessarily thinking you were going to do something like an ayahuasca or being afraid of your mind, because I, I'm right there with you. I my family has a lot of mental health problems and my Mm -hmm. brother, you know, and my mom both have experienced psychosis in front of me. I've seen them literally be out of their mind, delusional in, in, in the mental hospital. And so I was never drawn to doing psychedelics because it was like, I don't want to go I kind of was like, I'm going to have a bad trip. Like, I just know I'm going to have a bad trip. And mm-hmm. um, so I'm curious for you, you know, what that experience was like. Yeah. So, you know, so basically I, so it was like the mid January of 2020. So crazy enough, like pretty close before COVID and everything. And so, you know, I flew down I went to a pretty famous place called Blue Morpho, but went there, you know, you're out in the middle of the forest, like an hour deep. And what's nice is some of the people, there's probably 20 of us. Some people have done it before. They have a lot of shamans. The shamans, um, one of the shamans there, two of the shamans there are American. So you can, it's easier to understand them and ask them questions. And I mean, I was legit terrified. And so the way that they start is they give you like maybe a quarter of a shot glass of this stuff. And the only way I can describe it is if you drop chocolate milk in dirt <laughs> and then stepped in it and then threw some leaves in it. Okay. And then you ate earthy, it. very earthy. <laughs> like, I've had some Chinese the, the like I've had some Chinese like herbal <laughs> tinctures. That I was like, I am ingesting bark right now. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that's what it is, right? It's, it's literally, 
there was like seven or eight different barks and vine leaves that are boiled together and, you know, basically reduced to a sludge. And so they start people off on that little amount because they're like, we, we want to ease you into this. And this was, we did three days, three evening sessions, a break, and then two more. So it was five ceremonies. And just the ceremony in itself is pretty amazing. You're in the middle of the rainforest. It's pitch black. You're, you're kind of in, it's not a tent, but it, it's like a, it's just like a circular auditorium, but it's all bamboo, but the, the sides are all open. So you, you feel like the air, pavilion. you hear everything. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. But you can't see anything. Mm. It's pitch black. Really? There's no there's lights no, at all? No, Candlelight? Mm-mm. Nope. There's wow. nothing. And so the only light you see is everyone has like a red lamp in case you have to go to the bathroom or you're going to be sick. or uh-huh. So you would occasionally see that, but otherwise it, it, it's it's nothing and then they 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 sing and they have kind of musical instruments and they they're chanting and and everything so just that in itself is a 3 to 4 hour meditation session which will make you go crazy right yeah just that so you know i have this idea and again i i went into it being like i'm going to have this i'm going to go talk to god or the angel or mother ayahuasca and i'm going to just heal myself like that. What were you and trying to heal yourself from? What was your intention? Honestly, when I went into it, I think I just wanted to let go of the pain. I just was, you know, once kind of everything went away and I was in the van and I wasn't connected to Philly Fitness, wasn't connected to Philly, having problems with my wife, didn't know what to do, was really scared I wasn't being a good husband because I wasn't I wasn't providing the way I wanted to, you know, all these things like my dad's voice, like that part of me was taking over. And I was like, I I'm just in so much pain, but I don't know who to go to. I've always had to be the rock ever since a kid. So I'm not good at, I get upset and no one helps me, but I'm, people are like, we had no idea. Like you came over and you were smiling. So I just like wanted to heal like all the childhood trauma that I've gone through. So the first night, you know, I take that quarter shot glass, nothing. Before I even took mine, other people were already purging, right? So basically the way it works is you drink it and everyone's a little bit different, but at some point you typically purge and you, you may kind of trip before or after or during. It's a little different for everyone. And there was people who were, you know, there's 20 people, people are yelling for help. People are throwing up. People are, you know, they have showers to help like calm you down no, that doesn't help it's, if you were feeling terrified going into it and no, then people are like it's, wigging the fuck out yeah it, 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 the girl next to me immediately started losing her mind wow barfing up a storm like it's crazy and if you're not you know that feeling when you first meditate where you just hear every voice and thought and you're oh, yeah. like get me out of here it was that, except all those thoughts were real people throwing up around. <laughs> like, uh, and if you're someone that does not like throw up like me and I, it's like the last thing I ever want to do. That, yeah. that part, part of why I'm actually intrigued in doing ayahuasca is because I want to get over my, my trauma with puking, which actually has to do with my mom because I had a, there was a traumatic experience that happened not to segue. I really want to go back to your story. Oh, okay. But when I was young, right when my mom had her, big breakdown when I was about nine going on 10 she had she was taking this 
med- she was taking medication. She called her happy pills. I know now that she was taking, you know, um, mm-hmm. antidepressants, but you're not really supposed to drink a lot on them. And it was her 40th birthday. And we all went to dinner in New York City and she uh, drank too much on these antidepressants and she became blackout and was throwing up all over herself in public. My dad was carrying her into the car. Like it was one a moment as a child where you mm-hmm. just are like, is something happening to mom? Like, is she going to die? You know, you can't, you don't know what to register it. My dad was dealing with a crisis of my wife is completely blackout throwing up on herself. And, uh, I just have a distinct memory of that and hiding when we got to our apartment Mm -hmm. building, my dad drove in and I didn't want to be associated with them. So I Mm -hmm. asked my dad to drop me off because I didn't want the shame of the doorman seeing my dad carrying my mom in and I separated myself and I went upstairs and I was so scared. I remember saying to my dad, like, tell me what's wrong with her. Tell me what's no one was telling me what, what this was. I remember putting a knife to my throat and being like, if you don't tell me what's wrong with her, I'm going to kill myself. And that was just a moment to show like how desperate I was for like attention. I wasn't going to kill myself. It was just that this is going to get the attention, right? If I do this, Maybe someone will tell me why this happens in my family. Why so much chaos and things out of control. So going back to ayahuasca, I thought to myself, I kind of want to go because I want to get over this fucking throw up trauma because this throw up trauma yeah. has followed me. And Mackie will tell you. She'll hold it down. Like I She could be fully like stomach flu. She'll just be like, nope, not going to throw up. I will I've- literally like. Yeah ohm like move it to the other to the other direction like we're gonna go the other way and it's and it's worked you know so yeah going back to that some wim hof stuff seriously (laughs) if you if you want to will something like that bad but that's like trauma right that's like fear of letting go of facing something and so i've thought about the ayahuasca thing being like that alone i just should go there and just watch a million people barf and maybe i'll barf you know yeah you know it it really, they always say, because again, I, I like to have control. So this is like, a, it was a very scary thing. So of course, I tried to do all the research to know what to do, what to expect. And basically everything I read was people saying, it's going to take you where you have no idea you need to go. Mm-hmm. You know, and so the first night, nothing happened to me. So the second night, the I irony. said, I know, <laughs> right. But this is, this is what I needed. Right. The second night I doubled it. I took a full shot glass. Okay. Nothing. Third night I took, um, they had like, so, you know, regular shot glass and they had like a full shooter. I, I took the whole thing and then I went up for a second dose and took like another half of one. Nothing. You're like, Hey, can I get my money back? (laughs) What is this? This is all placebo. It's so hard because everyone around me is having absolutely transformational experiences they're releasing amazing trauma and tensions and some are just having cool shit happen to them you know they're you know they turn into like a superman gladiator and they're like battling the moon and i'm like i'm just listening to people puke all the time were you by yourself or did you go with a companion for this no i went by myself okay yeah um my wife would do it, but she's like, you go, you go test the waters yeah. and tell me how it is. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so, you know, we had the break and I was at the point where I was like, I'm not going to do it anymore. Like Third my night. expectations are so high 
and nothing's happening, like, of course it's not. I'm the victim. You know, who is me? Like, of course this is happening. I came all the way here looking for answers. Everyone else gets them. I fucking don't. I'm drinking more than everyone. Like, I just didn't. Again, I went into that place and I, I made a I made a promise to myself and my wife. Like, I was going to. I was going to journal every thought that came to my mind. So after every session, I would journal in the mornings, afternoons. And I really just realized like, this is my problem. Like I'm trying to control it. I'm trying to force it. I'm Mm. doing it for the wrong reasons. And I eventually just went to the shaman and I kind of broke down and explained what I need, like what's going on. Like I really need the healing. Like I I broke down crying and I didn't expect, I was just going to be like, yo, bro, Give me the good stuff, right? Yeah. But I just you with your I mask. You were go. gonna walk up with your mask on, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so he was like, "I got you tonight." He's like, "We're gonna do something special for you." And I, I just went back and I just like let go of those expectations, and I really just meditated before the session, you know, before the ceremony, and was like, I asked for help. You know, I asked nature, spirit, you know, what have you for help and guidance and just said, you know, I really need this. But before I think I was going in kind of demanding, this is what I'm expecting out of you versus this time I went in and I said, like, I humbly come in like the need of help, like, please help me. And so I went somewhere crazy that night. (laughs) And so they gave me a traditional um, dosage, like a, um, like a Peruvian dosage, which instead of like a little shot glass, it's like a coffee mug full. Okay. So it's like, you can't shoot it. It's, you know, you're You're sipping sipping a coffee. So I do that, you know, I sit down and like, okay, this is, I'm terrified. This is a lot. I don't know what's to happen. And so then one of the shaman came up to me and, um, you know, one of the instruments they have is just kind of, it almost is like a, you know, like a Chinese fan, mm-hmm. but it's dried leaves. Okay. Yeah. And so they kind of just hit it. So it's almost like a, whatever, like a maraca, but it's like, mm-hmm. so they're, they're doing that. They're chanting. And he's like, I'm going to come up and do like one specifically for you. And so after about 10, 15 minutes, he came up, wasn't feeling anything yet. Just nauseous just because I drink a whole bunch of mud. And he comes up and starts doing, you know, his chant, you know, blowing tobacco, you know, smoke, you know, saying his kind of prayers. And then literally, like, he did like one motion. And (laughs) just to basically explain what I experienced, he immediately turned into a giant crow. Wow. (laughs) With his wings, like, covering me. I'm even getting the goosebumps and feeling it now. And like, I immediately started purging, but I was, my bucket that I had was just a hole to the universe. Like it just went like, it just, I don't know where it went. It was just like the epitome of the black hole. Like it just, so I just threw up into that, kept purging. He kept doing his stuff and it was just getting like more and more intense. And I eventually like grabbed his leg and was like, please stop. Like I, I couldn't handle it. And then like this, I can't even remember if he stopped at this point or this was at the same time, but then I immediately merged with mother ayahuasca with the spirit and like 
my whole left, like her spirit came into my body and we shared a body, but she was my left side. I saw Adam, my right. And then we literally created the universe and like made the universe, made the planets, made the galaxies. And then you're giving me goosebumps. Individually made Adams and it was infused with her in it. And then we made me. So I basically was like infusing her spirit into my body and like having that experience um, of just knowing like this health is now part of me. Like I can never let go of this. It's there. I just have to, just like you can neglect whatever your, your house, like if I neglect it, I will lose that relationship, but it's always there. And so I literally like went through that and I was like, awesome. Like I'm done. I'm healed. And I like got a grasp of time and it had been like 12 minutes. <laughs> and I was like, ceremonies are four hours. And well, you like, know, you oh, think about, no. you think about a dream, right? And how much can happen in a dream. And you're in like, I'm over here and now I'm in this world and now I'm in this place. And it's like, how did I, you know, I'm in this child at home then I'm in that child at home. And, uh, for me, that could be like a nap. Like I took like a 10 minute yeah. nap and I'm like, what the yeah. fuck just happened? Yeah, you just go to a different dimension. You know, time doesn't exist. And so I kind of came back to it. I felt really sick. And so I went to go shower. Like I just thought at that point, I, I wasn't tripping. I was very present, but just didn't feel well. And so I was kind of freaking out a little bit. So I went and I showered. And this whole time, my wife had given me this, this kind of not like a good luck charm, but like a little stone, you know, just uh as like a gift, as a keepsake, you know, in the journal that she gave me. And I put it on the altar before and I helped, you know, and I, I, I asked the shamans to bless it and I had it with me. And in my mind, that was my connection piece to my wife during like the scary stuff. Mm-hmm. And so I went and I showered, I have all that. And I, like at one point thought I broke the rock. Like I was squeezing it so hot, like hard. I was so nervous. Like I, I I was kind of just losing it at that point. And eventually like one of the helpers came about and helped me and helped me get dressed and put my clothes back on. And he, I was like, did I break it? And it was just, I was seeing double, but I didn't break the rock. And he explained that. And then to me, that really solidified, like I can't break my relationship with my wife. Mm. Like no matter how hard I try to self-sabotage, like she is going to be there. She's my rock. Like. I don't have to worry about that happening because a lot of the mistakes I'd make, a lot of the self-pity and frustrations and guilt would be like, I'm not, she's going to leave me. Mm -hmm. Like, this is what happens to me. I'm a kid. Everyone that I love leaves me. Like, and I just, I was able to let go of that fear. So then I went back to, you know, my, you kind of get like a small little cot, like a little bed. So I'm just laying down for a while. I get back up. And at some point I lose the rock. I cannot find it. And I am completely freaking out. Like now I'm going into a bad trip and it's pitch black. So I'm just searching for my hands. I get up, I go to the bathroom. It's not in there. I come back. I have my red lamp on and you can have it on for a couple seconds, but then they come to you and because you can affect other people's experience. So they're like, oh, Barry, you got to touch the And I'm just, I know, I know. I'm just trying to find, and I'm just frantic. I don't know what to do. And finally, I say, you know what? Like, it's just a rock. Like, this is in my mind. I don't need it. Like, I'm here. 
I have the spirit, like I can anchor myself. And I literally like moved my pillow and it was fucking right there, <laughs> like right in, in the middle of everywhere I was looking. And I just right. like, I felt like, you know, like Simba or whatever. I was just like, Oh my God, you know, I was so stoked. So then I just laid down thinking, okay, like I just have to kind of ride the nausea wave and I'm going to get out of this. But then I went to this different place where it was kind of, I got stuck in this infinite loop where I literally felt like I lived like a thousand lives. And it was just in an abyss of blackness. There was nothing. There was no images. It was just thoughts. And they would, it was just constant paranoia of something. For example, I'm going to shit my pants right now. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't want to be that guy that shits his pants. And I would feel my heart getting hot and I worry, worry, worry. And eventually I had to just say, I can't keep this tension. If I shit, I shit, whatever. And then it would go away. And then I would like be in this amazing dream space that was like relaxing and warm. And I had never been so comfortable on the mattress. And it was just like the music I could, I could see the music. Like it was just an amazing. And then another thought would come in and then it would be, wow, like someone's yelling. And then I was like, well, what happens if that's me yelling? Like maybe I'm just so removed from my body. It sounds like this person that's screaming because one person had a really bad trip. They had to like tie him down. And I was like, what happens if that's me? Like what happens if I'm that person right now doing this, having a bad experience, hurting myself, like all that same thing. I had to let it go. And then I go back to the dream space. And I was like, oh yeah, this is all good. And it was this over and over hundreds of times, every little fear, every little thing that I was trying to control that I couldn't, I had to face. But once I let go of it, I would be able to like come back to enjoying things. And it, it was everything from, I'm going to shit my pants to like, what happens if this is real life, what I was experiencing and the real world doesn't exist mm. it's just an artifact and i was like i mean i'm gonna cry right now like what happens if my wife isn't real like my dogs aren't real like it like i need her i need all that and i had to let it go mm-hmm. i had to at some point be like you know what even if that wasn't real like i love her for what that was yeah i'm like what that meant to me and then i would come back and be like oh dude you're crazy it's all good like and then it, eventually it was oh shit I keep having these bad trips or thoughts every time like the Peruvian shaman blows his tobacco smoke and Mm. I smell it. And so I started to think, what happens if he's an evil shaman? And then the other American shaman who's also singing, like they're battling for my spirit right now. And like, because I only react poorly, the American shaman gave me this amazing experience. This Peruvian one is making me lose my mind. And so then I had to worry about that. Like, oh my God, what happens if this isn't like a good experience? It's just a scam to like exploit my soul and my spirit. And they're like, so then I'd go to that place and then be like, dude, you're losing your mind. Like you, re- you read some Yelp reviews. It's good. Like, <laughs> you know, and then I would let go of it. And it was just over and over and over. And then finally at the end, like I just couldn't get out of it. And then finally I realized Like I was part, I was melded with mother ayahuasca who was causing all these experiences. So I literally called out to her and just said, like, 
mother ayahuasca, like make it stop. Like I'm good. Like I understand now how good and how much I love the things I have in my life that I've been taking for granted. Like I see that now. I just want to go back to them. Like I'm ready to show that level of appreciation and like smell the roses. Literally, as I said that, they lit a candle, like immediately lit a candle, like the ceremony's over. I got up and I felt fine and I walked out. Like it just was like that. Unreal. And that, you know, in a nutshell was my, my experience. <laughs> so much to say about that. Uh, I want to <laughs> let, I, I let, Mac, let Mackie chime in on, you know, your thoughts well, on it. It's it's a fascinating thing, and I, I I feel the same way of this ceremony intrigues me. I wanted I want to experience that, but at the same time, I have that I'm like terrified of it and what I might see as well. You know, yeah. it's a it's an interesting dichotomy in my mind of you know I you know I'm I'm ready to explore i'm ready to go on that adventure but it's also so scary at the same time you've yeah. done psychedelics I mean, before yeah but this is different this is different this is plant yeah. medicine that's why it's called plant i mean all plants are medicine in some way even mushrooms mm -hmm. are that's a plant medicine right but this mm -hmm. this ceremonial aspect to this too and the shamans that are facilitating it there's a lot that goes into this and it's not just like you're not just in your bedroom, you know, in college, just like yeah. doing shrooms. This is, this that, is different. Yeah. And that feeds into it, you know, because I know people who have done Aya in Vegas, right? You hire a guy, they come and you do it and they watch over you. But like, when you're in this, like you said, like almost like that pavilion in the middle and all you hear is birds and monkeys and whatever yeah. frog, crazy ass frogs are out there. And then at one point, just crazy lightning and it's just flashing and going and you like you lose your sense of where you are and you know there's no phone service there's only wi-fi for a couple hours a day like you're just you get to unplug from home and responsibilities and life and cities and traffic and just like for lack of a better term like drink the kool-aid be like i'm in here and like mm -hmm. when i go there's a lot of shit they said where I'm like, really, bro, you did what? Like you can call each other from across the, you know, forest with spirits. I'm like, I don't know. But in that moment, I'm like, I'm going to soak all this in, buy into it all, have my experience. And then like Picasso, I'll pick the pieces of it that really speak to me. Yeah. Kind of arrange it in my way. And yeah, I mean, I, I just, I think it's a disservice to do it any other way. Absolutely. Going to going to the heart of where this this was created, like this this opportunity, this medicine, this form of I mean, you could call it a religion in in a, in a sense, like this belief system. And when you go into the the cities, they all do ayahuasca. They they, they knew our shaman. They're like, oh yeah, he was over the other day. We did a ceremony for my family, and like it's part of their culture. You know, here it's you know, having a bachelorette party or, you know, going to Vegas when you turn 21 or whatever, that's like the, yeah, you did it. Like, what's happened? like out there, it's like, you're going to connect with spirit now. And some of them do it. My, my shaman started when he was like five or six. Wow. And he's like, you don't have, 
fear when you're that young. You don't. Like, yeah. The, you Everything know, is imaginative so when you're that age. So it's just, yeah. you're living in the imagination, the imaginative imaginatory realm you could call it right yeah you're just in pixar yes, <laughs> yes. 4g yeah you know i'm thinking about your experience with the mind and you know we talked i talked about the monkey mind and you becoming prisoner of the mind but you can you're not locked in you can open up that gate at any time and this is what what mm-hmm. i gathered it it was showing you like perry you're you you can do this. You can either imprison yourself with these thoughts and you can create the narrative and you can create the disempowering thoughts and beliefs or you can have it the other way around. There's that duality. You get to choose. You get to choose. Yeah. Right? Yeah, I think it's it's something I try to remind myself because I mean just look what happened with businesses in 2020. Right? And just being able to, again, kind of go into it with a sense of what can I control? What do I have to let go of? And just let it happen. Let the cookies land where they're going to land or, you know, the chips land where they're going to land with the cookie crumble. Like just let it happen. But all those things are external. Yeah, I still have me. I still have my wife's love. That's not going to break. What's the And again, then it's like, what's the worst that's going to happen? Am I going to be homeless like my dad? No, I'll start working as a barista and I will eventually open up my own coffee shop. Like, I don't care. Like, I will just. It's funny you say that because I said the same thing to Mackie. I was like, so what if I can't make a living, you know, as a coach and living into this new you know, career that I, that I'm choosing? I'll, I can work at a coffee shop. It's fine. You know, like I'll be fine. And it's just funny how you can, you know, talk yourself into that space. But you know, an exercise I heard on another podcast, which is sort of like what was happening for you in that moment was thinking about all the what ifs, what ifs, what ifs, like what, you know, you don't, and I don't believe that thinking about a catastrophe is going to make catastrophe happen. But I've said to Mackie, like, there are times where you're driving to your parents and the thought crosses my mind. What if he gets into a car accident and dies? And I don't have Mackie anymore. I don't have my husband anymore. And all of a sudden I feel this like I've just paralyzed myself with this thought and this fear. Right. And Mm -hmm. and then it's like, okay, Juliet, what if. What if you would be grief stricken, you may have to stop working for a little while, you probably have to ask for help, you probably have to live with someone, you know, and they're Mm -hmm. on their couch, whatever you need to do. And at the end of the day. You still would be alive and that would be the path and you would you would be fine. And, you know, it's like just going down to the bottom. What if, what if, what if? And it's like at the end of the day, what if we don't know? We don't have control. It's just the only thing we can do is show up how we and, you know, and sometimes even we don't know exactly how we're going to show up if something happens like that, you know, some a trauma or, you know, um, a loss. But if we get this better, this better understanding of spirit and that we are not just this 3d physical dense reality for for myself at least it really has helped me to just anchor into the universe more right to feel held by the universe so i i i've had like two crazy experiences that i always go back to and i like my mom 
mom, if you're listening to this, I'm sorry, but my mom's a little crazy when it comes to like, she's like, you know, that bird is my dad, you know, and, and all these things. And I, I was an engineer. I was a math nerd. Like I was the bro. I never bought into any of that kind of stuff. I was like, it's a fucking bird. Like, what are you talking about? But that's not grandpa. When I was in, <laughs> <laughs> when I was in college, I, I don't even know how I came across this weird study where essentially to kind of keep this short, they had a random number generator, which just basically creates a one or a negative one. And then it just adds it up. So it's kind of like flipping a coin. You'll get some spikes where you get heads 10 times in a row, but it always averages out. And they started seeing that this device was having these crazy spikes, you know, tens of thousands of millions, but it was happening too often for it to be statistically possible. And then they started looking into what are some, you know, external factors that might be affecting it. And they realized all these spikes were happening right before a world catastrophe. Wow. So it was Princess Diana, tsunamis, 9-11, all these things. And so they came up with this hypothesis that somehow the collective subconscious of everybody was experiencing this traumatic thing before it happened and it was picking up on that frequency somehow. So then they tested it. They gave this little box to a person and said, hold it. We're going to show you a deck of cards. Tell us when you've seen a card a second time. And before they saw the card a second time, it registered it. So mm. then they really started to believe deja vu is not you remembering something that you've done. It's you remembering something that you're going to do. So a lot of times we're like, oh, I had a dream about this. This is cool. I've been in this room. Like, no, like you, you're remembering part of your consciousness because time is fluid. We think yeah. of it as just this linear thing and it's not. We're in a pool of time. And so I started diving really deep because with all my night terrors, I had deja vu constantly. And I was like, okay, let me like, I can't have vivid dreams. Like I've tried or lucid dreams. I've tried that. I was like, but let me really become hyper aware when I have these deja vus. And I was in calculus class in a high rise building. There are not a lot of women on a high rise that teaches calc three in the engineering quad. It's a pretty nerdy dude situation. And so I'm up there, my buddy's next to me and I go, dude, I'm having deja vu. And he's like, I don't, I don't care. And I was like, no, but I remember I go watch a girl with a pink backpack is going to walk by our door. Three times I go watch three, two. And she did. Wow. And again, and I only see the girl part. Cause it's like, it's not expected to see that. Yeah. You know, like if I was in Rittenhouse Square and I'm like, oh, look, a girl in yoga pants is going to walk by. It's like, well, yeah, of course. And so I was just like, well, what the hell was that? He didn't believe me. Nobody believed me. But I, in my heart, knew I had remembered something that hadn't happened yet. And so I was like, what, what does that say about all of this? And then fast forward a couple of years. I'm on my motorcycle coming. This is when I was an engineer coming home from work in Boston. And I'm an adrenaline junkie. I, I've gone 130. I've done wheelie. I do a lot of stupid shit on a bike. I'm going 70 miles an hour, you know, with traffic, trembling. No idea what's going on. You know, I, I look to the side when I'm switching lanes and I'm yelling 
at myself out loud in my helmet, look forward, you're going to hit something. Mm. And I, my, I was clammy. And if you're on a motorcycle and you're nervous, imagine just, you know, those exercises where you do like the leg, the leg things, like the, the, yeah, the uh, adduction machine. Okay, Mr. Yeah. Trainer, I guess we all did too much functional movement here to remember the uh, hip ab- adductor and abduction machines. Yeah. And so it's like cramping on one of those. Your legs cramp, mm. but you have to be mobile because you have to shift and do all these things. So eventually I just literally said out loud, I got to relax. If I'm about to die, it's okay. 30 seconds later at 70 miles an hour, I hit a metal chrome bumper in the highway and I got thrown 200 feet on my motorcycle Ugh. and hit the, hit the ground and tumbled in rush hour traffic. And I got up and I walked away. But like, I knew, I felt it. I experienced the trauma of that crash before it happened. And when it happened, I was literally in the air being like, are you serious? Like, this, like as I'm tumbling, I was like, I, what? Like I, I said this and then it was just a freak accident. And then all of a sudden, you know, I'm tumbling. And so I, somehow I lost that for a while. Like I didn't continue to practice. I wish I did and just became like a crazy meditator on this. And I could be the next like fortune teller. Yeah, but, I was going to say, you could be like, you know, I'm, I'm Miss Cleo. That's so like, I have so many friends in this space who are cha- like they, they can channel and like, you know, Mm-hmm. Uh, have been able to tell me things about my past and future, so I don't want to do them any injustice with me, like Miss Cleo. <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> but no, I, you could have been like doing readings for people, and <laughs> yeah, I mean, you and, can. We all can. Is the thing, and that's the thing that I really realized. Like, I'm a very, I'm very sensitive to people's emotions. I can feel it when I'm in the room. Like, I can, I can, I can feel it usually before other people are even aware. Like, it's going on. And I like to think I'm pretty intuitive. And I think just like a muscle, right? Like we've all been in fitness. You can just see a movement and then feel what it would be like doing it. Like you just know how to do it. And I think some people have that with being intuitive and empathetic or, or what have you. And so I just try to remember, like, I, I just, that's a, maybe I was born with a little bit stronger of that muscle I could flex, but like, I, you know, if you don't use it, you lose it. But it just made me realize, even when you're talking about like if Mackie dies, like, but does he? Like, maybe in this timeline, but we go into it with the assumption and build all the fear on the foundation that that's the end. And there's not really any proof either way. You know what I mean? It's, no, yeah. there not, isn't. It's all speculation. And that's the, that's the great mystery, you know? Yeah. And I just think I just now I love diving into that. I don't know if you've seen on Netflix surviving death. Yeah. That and what what the hell was that? Oh, I know the one, the one I have some healthy skepticism and there the one with the woman uh, doing the seance with Timmy boy. With Timmy Boy, well, yeah, although that has become that really has become a joke in our house. Tommy, Tommy, Tommy boy. boy, and we will Tommy, be like, Tommy. and we'll start talking with them. Like, oh, Tommy. Oh. And he'll be like, "Is Tommy Boy here?" And I'm like, "Tommy Boy is here." <laughs> so Silver Cloud, Silver Cloud, and Tommy yeah. Boy, yeah. <laughs> but 
But, you know, like hearing the people, the woman with the kayaking accident yes. and the woman that gave oh, birth. Yeah. And, yeah. and another thing that happened. So my at the beginning of COVID, my uncle's father. So I guess like my, my great uncle passed away mm-hmm. and my uncle couldn't be more of a that spiritual bullshit kind of guy. He's like, mm. like, what do you mm-hmm. No, That's a scam. This is right. When his father died, him, his two daughters, um, his sister, his mother, and his wife, and there's a video of it, sat in a circle just to kind of do a prayer. And a, I don't think it was a cardinal, but a bird, maybe like a finch, flew up to, no, it was a cardinal, flew up to them, landed in the middle of them, and went to every single person in the circle and climbed on them wow. and sat there. And then went to the next one. And like they're literally like touching it and looking. And then it would go and hop to the next. And it went all the way around, just like in that show. Right? It went all the way around to everyone. And they they were all like, What? Like they couldn't believe it. It's they videotaped it. And even my uncle is like, that was something. Like birds don't do that. You know, and I'm like, and it came and it, it like it it was on his leg and it crawled up on his shoulder. Like it was a wild bird. Yeah. And then it just went away and they've never seen it again. And I just think mm-hmm. there's something to that. And I don't want to be so cynical and think there I'm have the audacity to say, no, I know for a fact that wasn't something spiritual. I don't want to be that person anymore. I want to say, you know, like, you, like have the positive what ifs. Like, what if that is true? Yeah. Well, all the certainty that people come into life with, because I grew up with a brother who was very much like he just came, he came into life being just very certain and scientific and uh, there is no God, there is nothing like this is all there is. And, you know, very, he was very political and just like very, very strongly opinionated. But, you know, what I, what, what I gather that that is, is we are looking for some sort of safety. And sometimes when we can just be like, nope, this is, this is the way it is. It's a fact. It really is just another way of kind of, keeping us feeling safe and uh, Mm -hmm. like we've got something figured out. Right. Um, And when you see a lot of addiction or, uh, or obsession, compulsiveness, and that sometimes can stem from this feeling of uh, the unknown. Right. So I need to create certainty and maybe it's not certainty in that there's no God and everything is science, but there's certainty that if I, you know, do this workout for this long, <laughs> or if I, you know, eat this specific way, or if I drive this route to work and I don't, you know, make an error, then I'll be safe. Like I'll be okay. Right. Just all of this justification. Yeah. I mean, I think we see it with clients all the time, right? I kind of specialize now in people who have a lot to lose. I, I prefer like people closer to like the hundred pound plus range. But it it can be difficult because the devil you know is better than the devil you don't, right? And it can be really difficult to go down that path, especially if that's all they've known their whole life is being obese, being unhealthy, like not being active, identifying certain ways, being able to do certain things. There's comfort in, well, at least I know what I'm going to do here. Like I know the outcome. Yeah, I know I might, you know, same with cigarette smokers or, you know, addicts or whatever it be. It's like, why? I know this is shitty, but I know it's shitty. I don't know what, what happens if it's shittier on that side. 
And, and that just takes over and there's just that fear. And again, it's like doing the, you know, what if Mackie dies versus like, what if Mackie brings flowers home? <laughs> you exactly, know? because like, our brain works in negatives. It really does work in negatives yeah. quite often. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just to wrap up, because I feel like we could talk all day about this and we will, we'll ha- <laughs> really and we can, we'll hang out, <laughs> you know, definitely off, you know, offline. Because I think that, you know, we all have a lot to talk about and share in this space. Well, and you're going to Boulder. So yeah, you can, uh, come on out. Yes, you guys, can, can. you guys can, <laughs> can come to Boulder and go hang out with us in nature there. But, you know, I ask a lot of the guests, you know, what was your awakening? Right. And we talked about you, you know, several for you in terms of, mm-hmm. you know, your journey with ayahuasca and the business and just being able to, like, see yourself in a different light. and and go to the root and the core of kind of like where these masks that you put on kind of came from. And, and it was the letting go of all of that and the opening yourself up to possibility and more simplicity and how beautiful that is. Um, but I was just thinking with that, but the idea of waking up, we're not even necessarily talking about it from like a spiritual perspective. And uh, I just want to bring that to, to light because I think some people might think like, Oh, I want an awakening, but just simply uh, working with these clients that are trying to lose a hundred pounds and them waking up to their habits, waking up to that they're afraid, waking up to that they uh, they uh, are so attached to certain aspects of themselves. That's a wake up. That's waking up. It doesn't have to be like a mother ayahuasca you know, situation no. <laughs> or like a synchronicity even, or, you know, some of these more like woo spiritual things we're talking about. But, you know, I think, or even just not being a product of your environment and your trauma and waking up to like, wait, mm-hmm. I have a different life to live. You know, to me, that is all spiritual, but in the yeah. sense of, you know, what, a, you know, when you woke up, Mackie used to own Annie Ann's pretzel franchises. Oh, wow. Yeah. Prior to, be, uh, prior to becoming a trainer, selling the salt, sugar, and fat. I mean, that's a good bit, right? That was re- client retention. Franchise, you, you were, man. Yeah. Good that's margins. So good. Like, now, now I know where to go. <laughs> yeah, but like you woke up to like, I don't want to do this anymore. It's not in alignment with my purpose and what I, and my belief it feels wrong in right in this time in my life. Um, your Saturn return, mind you, which I just yeah. find is so amazing. Like all the, when the 29 year olds out there that are having like, I'm quitting my job. I'm starting a new life. It's like, yep. The Saturn return, baby. Just like this is that <laughs> happens right around 30 where oftentimes you're like, I got to like change my life, you know? But I think there's mm-hmm. many iterations of, of that. And um, last thing, I didn't say this on the last show we, we had and one last thing. And then I want the guests to know where they can find you and what you're doing. We had it. We had uh, Hava on, and one thing she said in our last episode that's been sticking with me is, "You are allowed to change your mind and like do other things, and you don't have to uh, stick with a career, stick with anything, right? Like you, and maybe we're not meant. Actually, we're not meant to. We're you know that's a part of growth and and learning is trying things." You're, you know, when, you, when you're young, we try so many things like, oh, I'm going to try dance lessons and I'm going to try this. and I'm going to try that. And let's try this game. We've never played this game before. And then as we become adults, that becomes, you know, far and few between in terms of trying something different. Yeah, I think. I just 
maybe it's the school system, maybe it's just how jobs and everything's structured. But I just think we, as we get older, we get more and more afraid of failing. Yeah. Right. We just get more and more afraid of all the what ifs and, you know, just you were mentioning awakening. Like for me, it really happened when I crashed my motorcycle that time. I should have died. Nine out of 10 people would have died with that accident. I had no injuries, not a scrape on me. Wow. I, when I got home from the hospital, I drank as much of a bottle of whiskey as I could in the shower and cried because I didn't know why I didn't die. And it was in that moment where <clears throat> I think for a lot of people, the awakening comes from when you stop looking at the present or the past and you look at the trajectory of like, where is this leading me? And I was like, I just survived death and I'm upset and I'm alone. I'm drinking like, where does this go in 30 years? I was like, I can't, I can't do this. You know? And I was like, that's a big part of what made me, I didn't even say this, but like two weeks before I had met my dad for the first time. That's where I discovered he was home. So it was just like all coming together. And I was like, I'm going to become him. Like I'm going down the same path of just pushing everyone away. And I think once you see the trajectory and you allow yourself to say, where is this going? You now have the awareness and it's up to you to decide, am I going to continue that way or am I going to do everything I can to change it? No matter what it is, I, even if it's messing up, I'd rather mess up. Like, I'm not going to quit. I could always be an engineer again, right? I quit. I could always yeah. do it again, mm-hmm. right? If you fail at one franchise, open up another, start something, work at a place. Like, who cares? It's worth exploring to find happiness. And so I think that happens with clients. When they finally awaken and see where their life is going and that they don't want it to get to where it's going, they make a conscious decision to ask for help. But we've all talked to people that need our help and don't, and it's because they they, they just don't see it yet. They know they have a pain right now. I just want to lose a little bit of weight or whatnot, but it's not enough for them to say, I'm going to overhaul my life. Absolutely. And I talk a lot about this with clients that are just the same 10 pounds, the same five pounds. Like, well, there's a secondary gain here. You're gaining a sense that your identity is wrapped in. I'm always trying to lose five pounds. I'm always trying to lose 10 pounds. And the pain point isn't strong enough necessarily to move the needle. Pain is a great motivator. So, you know, when I first started in training, just going back full circle here, some of my clients were extremely obese and Mm -hmm. those were my favorite (laughs) clients to work with. And when I moved to the city, I actually didn't end up having any of those kinds of clients come in to the environment that I was in, in terms of like the studio and it was young, more fit, you know, just a different clientele. But I remember getting started in that space and feeling like, wow, I am really touching people's lives and making a difference. And like, they are showing up in a way that just feels like so purposeful on both ends. Like, like you're filling my cup. I'm filling your cup. This is so incredible. And um, not to say I didn't love like the studio environment, but I know what you're saying in that way. Somebody it's, it's both people have to show up. The trainer has to show up. The client has to show up. It has to be mutual. And, um, you know, with that being said, I would love to hear like, tell, tell the people 
what you're doing, <laughs> you know, for for your work now in Massachusetts. Yeah. So perryohern.com, right? That's where you can basically find me. But, you know, essentially my focus is really shifted. You know, when I got into the game, it was all about intensity, stop making excuses, work out, eat better, shut up, rinse, wash, and repeat. And I've gone so much away from that. So now my focus really is on just helping people essentially overcome self-sabotage, right? The emotional eating, the emotional awareness to what's going on, what those triggers are, because, you know, that's the foundation to everything. And it's taken me some time, but like, I finally feel like I have a system in place that allows for me to utilize like my, my emotional sensitivity to what all my clients experience and put it in a way to just teach people because it's a blind spot for most. They don't, they know they need to do X, Y, Z, but they don't know why they can't. And that's where I really try to shed the light. And then once that, that happens, then you can follow whatever you want. Like you have a, the foundation to build whatever style home you want. But if you just build a home on mud, it's, it's just ain't going to work. And so I love the same thing. I love helping clients like lose a hundred pounds in a year. That's like my, the, the most satisfying, fun transformation, because you just see someone come to life. You really, really do. Um, but I I'll work with anyone, you know, I don't work with people that are like five to 10 pounds. Cause I'm just like, I personally need more. I, I need, I want to change your life. And it's just, that's it. So yeah, perryohern.com. If you're emotionally eating, self-sabotaging, reach out and I'll hook you up. <laughs> nice. That's Love awesome. It. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your oh, story. Great. And now I, I'm just like thinking about the title of this episode, like, do we go with the ayahuasca? Do we go with, there's there are so, so many, many things that title. we, that, you know, I'm going to have to write a description that really does this justice to, because it was just full of so many incredible things. And uh, yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Perry. Yeah. My pleasure. Happy to do a part two whenever we need to.